What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of In Conversation With. Thank you so much for having me. That's awesome. A lot of these artists need the money that comes from touring. <laughs> Today, I'm joined by one of my good friends, Aaron. Met What's you. happening? Met you a while ago, man. Met you in the, uh, on the yeah. circuit. You doing your thing. Drummer for the uh, world-renowned for the world-renowned stereos. Um, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Uh, hey, you know, uh, surviving. Surviving this, uh, this quarantining uh, that we're doing. Yeah, we all got to survive. And, you know, you being a music guy, I thought you'd be a great person to talk to because it, almost overnight, the concert industry, the live music industry has changed. And musicians, DJs, uh, bands have to adapt. You know, while we were talking pre-interview about Travis Scott doing his uh, live concert during Fortnite. Um, but give me your take on how coronavirus has affected the music industry, and what do you think? What do you think is going to look like at the other side of this? So there's a lot of different things uh, that I think can be looked at. So uh, starting off with, I think the most important one, which is on like everyone's minds. Um, is concerts. So the way it's going to affect uh, concerts and stuff like that, I think is that income needs to start coming from somewhere else. So if you're a major artist, you're gonna do like we were talking about earlier, Travis Scott, you're going to find a new platform so that you can maximize your audience and minimize the amount of work that you've gotta do. Okay, so if you're looking at it from like a hustle perspective, that's like a grand hustle. You know, uh, it almost changes uh, things from being like a, a concert that you would experience, um, uh, you know, in an arena to being like a sporting event. You know, you know what I mean? Like a pay-per-view where, where, you know, you work for one night, you get millions of people watching you and you get that bag and then you shut it down. Anyone under that in the musician economy is going to have to get smart fast and they're going to have to get innovative fast and you know we're lucky that we live in an age where artists are very connected to their fans you know they've got instagram they've got twitter they've got a way to to touch base um but uh if is that sustainable how long is that sustainable like are they going to be able to just do live streams from like their basements how does one get a band together? I mean, like these are all problems that I think uh, will get solved, but I think are presenting themselves right now. I think what you're alluding to is that bands and musicians more than ever have to go direct to consumer. Just, yeah. like, just like, you know, little brick and mortar shops have to go, okay, well, let me just go open up a Shopify account and see how quickly I can go from myself to the consumer. And that's what bands and musicians need to do. Absolutely. I mean, it, in, in, you know, in relating it back to kind of general business, like this is, you know, uh, this is a time of innovation, you know, which always happens right after some massive paradigm shift, right? And, and this is, you know, this is going to be a time for innovation because it's a desperate time, right? And, and that's what breeds these types of things. So, so it is dark right now. 
it's going to call a lot of, I mean, uh, a lot of bedroom producers are going to have to sell the gear that they thought they were going to be able to pay for by, you know, selling beats and, and like, it's going to hurt the middle class, which was just starting to kind of develop, you know, um, in, in the music world. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people writing great records right now, though. Like, you know, a lot of people that, you know, maybe they don't have to go to their day job now, can't go to their day job, um, you know, are able to at least pay those bare minimum bills, but still have their laptop. They're making crazy stuff right now. And, and the flip side to all of this is when things get better, like there's going to be some crazy COVID inspired records. Like we're going to hear some crazy music because of this, like, you know, so, so that's, you know, that's a positive too. You know, people are getting to put in work, um, you know, and, and you, you trap a creative musician uh, in a small space and make it socially acceptable for them to only work and only like create. I mean, it's going to be cool. It's going to be pretty cool. As long as they can pay the bills afterwards. I mean, cause even when this is all said and done, I don't think they're opening up concerts for at least a year. I don't think so either. I don't think so either, man. Like you bring up a good point, man. Like creatives, like what is Kanye doing right now? Dude, <laughs> Kanye, Kanye right now is complaining to Forbes that they're not saying he's got 3.3 billion. Like Kanye is just counting receipts and like complaining that his Yeezy stocks aren't pulling in that billionaire status. <laughs> but, but yeah, but exactly. What are the, this is a time for hyper creatives to get hyper creative. Yeah, man. And, and I want to just take kind of a step back. Like we kind of jumped into the whole band and music debate or discussion, mm -hmm. but I want to take a step back and talk about your experience in the band world. Like we kind of alluded to, I was, you know, hosting a show, producing a show, and I met you as one of the band members of this band, Stereos, but I want you to get into your experience working in a band, for bands, with bands, in the music industry, record labels, ARs, mm. ARs that kind of thing, and, you know, what was, you, what was that world like for you? Um, I mean, I, I'm not as, as young as I look, so I got in, I got in the game, um pretty seriously i'd say like 99 2000 um so i was around like 17 and uh had just finished uh school i had been playing in bands like all through school that was always just kind of like a thing i i was pretty hell-bent you know from a very young age that um i was going to be in a band uh it was either i was going to be in a band or i was going to be spielberg it was it was one of the two you know, so I kept my aspirations pretty low. Um, and uh, just through kind of happenstance, uh, music ended up being uh, the main focus. So uh, I used to do a lot of reading, a lot of research. Uh, I would buy band books, you know, at first because I just wanted to like, I wanted to see what it was like to be in a band. Um, but after like the third or fourth, you know, kind of biography, uh, I started understanding um, that a lot of their stories were very, very similar and, and that there was kind of a path um, if, you know, you were paying attention to, to kind of get in, you know, because that's the biggest hurdle for anyone is, you know, it's not if you're talented, really, it's, it's how do you get into that, that circle? How do you kind of like permeate 
you know, that, uh, you know, that, 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 that initial kind of tough skin, you know, um, to get into the industry. So, uh, so pretty young, I started figuring out, you know, um, the club circuit and, and kind of the hierarchies there and what it meant if you were an opening band versus a headlining band and, you know, how does one climb those ladders and, and while putting in a lot of work with a lot of, uh, smaller bands that I was playing with. Um, and then, uh, just because of, you know, combination of right place, right time, uh, having a very sharp skill set. I was a drummer, right? So, uh, I made sure that, you know, if ever I got a call, my skills would be good enough that, that, that wouldn't be the thing that prevented me from getting in. You know, it would be that like I was, you know, cocky or, or something, you know, it'd be an attitude situation. It wouldn't be a, a skill level issue, which was with drummers is the big thing. Uh, drummers are notoriously fired. You're, you're gone. Like the moment a band starts to kind of climb, the drummer gets fired. Um, so I, I knew that very, very young. Uh, so um, by like 17, 18, uh, I had uh, successfully uh, negotiated my way into a band that had a drummer. That drummer was kicked out. Um, and, and we started playing shows where I wasn't just in a band that was like the opening band. I was, you know, we would, I was in a band that was now like second or third on the bill, you know, right underneath the headliner, co-headline, those types of things. Um, and, uh, and then from there, uh, was able to join this band, uh, that was full of ex-members of Avril Lavigne that were like, uh, guys kind of from the neighborhood, um, who had found some success. I was younger than them. I had kind of looked up to watching them, you know, hustle. And then I was in, and that was kind of like they were a, a band that would tour Canada. Uh, the band was called Yeah Closet Monster. Um, we would, you know, we had a video that was on Much Loud, you know, which was Much Music's like more aggressive video channel. And so that started to kind of do some things, you know. And I started to kind of get a taste for it, and seeing that this this little uh, pathway that I had kind of uh, laid out initially uh, actually was the right way to get in. So uh, that band broke up as all bands end up doing, uh, most bands end up doing, and I just stayed in the scene and ended up drumming for several bands and artists, all while in the background writing music uh, with people who I was in a band with in that Closet Monster band. I maintained like a writer partnership. Mm -hmm. so, so while I was kind of out presenting myself as this active drummer on the Toronto music scene, you know, we'll call it, I was also writing and trying to prevent or present myself as, a, as an active songwriter in the Toronto music scene. Uh, and then those things just happened to align with stereos where um, I had caught wind of this band who was from Alberta. I was born in Alberta, so we had that in common. Um, they had started filming this show, Disband, which I knew was this show that Much Music had put together to kind of comb through Canadian talent um, and, and kind of give anyone that they felt could do it a bit of a boost. And, uh, and I mean, to someone like me, who, who had done the studying, I was like, oh, these are all the pieces I need. Um, and the drummer was whack. 
he was so whack. <laughs> and um, and when I started, I started writing with the band before I ever started thinking about performing with them. And and when I saw them play, I was like, oh, this dude's gonna like this dude's gone. Like he's absolutely gone. There's no way that he'll be able to make it. I've seen this before. He's not gonna make it. Um, and so rather than letting someone else snipe that spot, I just put myself in the position um, to get that role. And, uh, and it happened. I mean, you know, and, and I think it's, it's kind of like, a, it's, it's not unlike anything else, like in life and, and, and kind of hustling, really. Like, it's, it's the same mechanics, you know? It's, you keep yourself sharp, uh, and you put yourself in the right place at the right time, and eventually luck's gonna hit you. Like luck isn't luck. Luck is calculation and planning, and and then it's luck, you know. But the odds, you know, the odds change from one in a billion, you know, to one in a million, to one in a hundred thousand, to one in ten, depending on how much preparation you're doing, you know. And and it's when odds are in one in ten that you know, you just keep playing and the lottery is going to hit you eventually. It's just math. So, so yes, I mean, like that's, that's how I got into the drumming thing. That's awesome, man. That's a really good breakdown. I love that whole one in a million, one in a, one in a hundred, one in 10. That's a great breakdown. Well, thanks. I mean, it's, I think it, I, I wouldn't preach it if it wasn't. It's true. Just, just true, you know? And, and uh, I heard a lot of people talk about that like i i don't think it's a unique idea at all that like that idea that you know preparation is what creates the luck um but i mean like it's you know it's not a bullshit cliche like it's like it's real like that's you know and that's the hustle i think that's why like you know people like ourselves you know we always kind of connect on that level and and have always talked in it and since you know since the, the, you know, that nice little fun little band blip, you know, in, in 2010 that we both, you know, got to kind of like go on that ride together. Um, it's not like either of us stopped hustling, you know, the, the systems changed, you know, the, where the hustle, you know, was going on changed, but the hustle doesn't change at all ever. Well, the hustle is who you are, right? The, the hustle in you, it's not what you do. So it doesn't matter where they do. They could have put you in Indonesia, right? They could put you in Chicago. It doesn't matter. You would still hustle somewhere because it's in you. It's not. It's not on you, right? I believe. Uh, yeah. I. 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 You know what? And you know, I. I don't know if I. I think I was very. Again, it's the the luck part of it. I think that uh, music uh, combined so many of my what I thought were uh, not only outlying skills, but uh, is the word disparate? Like that they, they kind of, they existed, but, but they weren't, I didn't think they were connected. You know, I, I had a love of pop culture. I had a, you know, a love of performing, you know, uh, I had a love of rock ballads and stuff. You know, uh, it, it took effort to decide, to, to figure out that there was a connection you know, to kind of establish a unique path for myself. Um, so, but the hustle was always there. You know, I would have been maybe an average car salesman, but I would have been, you know, 
I wouldn't have failed at it because I understand the mechanics of hustling. You know, maybe I wouldn't have been a number one car mechanic or, you know, car salesman or whatever, because I don't love cars, but you know, the hustle still would have applied, you know, in, in some degree or just with some metric. Right. Now I'm somebody that, thanks for that breakdown, by the way. Um, I'm somebody that (laughs) I don't have any musical talent at all. I mean, I can kind of dance a little bit. I think I can beatbox. You know, when I was in high school, my friends and I would get together and we'd do our little ciphers. That would, uh, <laughs> right? Um, so I've, but I've always, I never told anybody this, but I've always wanted to be in a band. I don't know why. I just, it looks cool to me. It looks fun to be on stage and dance and sing and without getting too much into it and like divulging names and (laughs) what's that what's that like man like can you give me some stories of like what it's like to be on tour in another city in another country and just playing the music you made the experience of performing your music live um and seeing no, no, like not seeing any response you know is always a very very big deal it's a very unique and in and of itself feeling being in a band is the means to the end of feeling that feeling. Solo artists and solo performers make a lot of sense to anyone who's in a band. Because if we could get the feeling without the other dudes, oh, you better believe we would. Like, but it's a family, right? Like, I mean, I know... The, actually, I've heard uh, guys in the army talk about the camaraderie um, that comes with going through intense training um, and then uh, intense experiences as the result of that training and the way it bonds people, um, you know, and, and that there, and, and again, this is, this is a loose comparison, but the uh, the shared experiences and the uniqueness of those shared experiences, even if you guys weren't in the same regiment or troop or, or, or you know, whatever, you know, um, you can sit and just like talk with anyone. And the second that you find out that they were like in a, you know, in the army, you have stories and you guys can connect on a different level. It's the same thing with being in a band and especially the same thing with the people who you are in a band with, um, you know, uh, anyone who I have been in a band with for more than one sitting, um, we've bonded. And uh, some of those guys uh, I <laughs> don't speak to anymore um, in the same way that you wouldn't speak to a brother, you know, or a family member or something, um, simply because you're too close, you know, and, and there is too much love there, you know? Like if you love someone, uh, you're capable of hating them. If you don't love someone, you, you, at best you give indifference, you know? And, and, and so it's a very interesting dynamic, you know, again, to say the very least, you know? Uh, gentlemen who I'm in bands with, right? Like who, we'll use my most previous band, like so Stereos. So we broke up like 10 years ago and I talk with most of those guys every day like just shooting the shit, just like, because we, we connected. Um, we know that we're like, we're very much the same people. We share this kind of like very, very unique bond. And, uh, and, and yeah. And I mean, I think other than family, I don't, I don't share any relationships that are nearly as, uh, tight 
as volatile, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, I, that comes with, you know, the intimacy of, of having, you know, practiced and like, and dreamed together too, you know, like you take something that's such a very personal thing, like a dream, uh, and, and you open it up to a small collective of people and you work till, you know, you're, you know, bleeding from the hands at that dream day in and day out, you're going to form a bond and it's going to be an intense one. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not good at short answers. Thing <laughs> <laughs> though, So it's okay. <laughs> a guy. Um, I, I want to, I love that breakdown and I want to touch on what you, something you said, you said that if you could get the feeling that you feel, first of all, you said, a band is a means to the end and the end would be to get a reaction from anybody, a crowd, hopefully of, from your music. Yeah. You said if you're in a band, you, if you could get the same reaction on your own, you would absolutely do that. Yeah. I've never heard anyone break it down that way, which I guess is why we're talking. But if you could, can you, can you like peel back the curtain for me for what it would be like on both sides of the person going solo and the band, for example, Justin Timberlake being in the band and then going solo and then his career takes off, you know, Beyonce being in a group and then going solo and then her career takes off, you know, Bobby Brown, we've seen this happen over and over and over again. What is like, peel back the curtain for me. What's that process like? So let's pretend uh, that, that it, it's not Alexis on fire, but it's another band of a similar trajectory. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where it's, uh, it starts out as a as very much a band, and um, at their at their peak of we'll call it their uh, not Alexis on Fire specifically, but using this general idea of their say their B list, their their peak of their B list popularity, one member breaks and is able to push out. Uh, it would not surprise me if the other members of that group. Um, reacted and felt a way about it because uh, that changes from a we're all in this together group dynamic to uh, a single member of this group now holds a higher value and has exploited it you know what I mean like that's you know that that could hurt the dynamic of a group who thought it was a, a musketeers kind of one for all, all for one kind of vibe. Um, it's different if you're in an NSYNC or a Backstreet Boys, especially a Destiny's Child. Beyonce wasn't even, like that was, that was Beyonce's father, right? Matthew Knowles coming in and saying, I'm gonna take this and use this as a way to blow up my daughter, who I believe is a star, right? Beyonce's not even a founding member, I believe, of Destiny's Child. I think it was a, it was a girl group let's you know what check that put a little thing underneath this is like he's talking shit if i'm wrong yeah i'll fact check but, that. <laughs> but if i'm not talking shit put a little thing underneath that says he's not talking shit okay. uh but I, I believe the way that it went was destiny's child was a group that matthew knowles was either the manager or saw them perform and elected to be the manager and then beyonce was put into the group yes that's my recollection as well I believe that is how it went down. Okay, so uh, Instinct, right? Our Backstreet Boys first, right? That's Lou Pearlman, uh, awful human being, put together a lot of boy bands. Uh, Handpicking, right? Uh, dudes who were all in the circuit. 
like no one who's in any of these boy bands wasn't already on the precipice of something right like a boy band has always been a vehicle for accelerating one person's career maybe two right but it's a great way for a manager to find five people four people who are all very good looking and all moderately talented putting them in the public arena figuring out which one is the one that's going to generate them the most cash i bet you, you look at any of those contracts those instincts those factory boys i don't like maybe justin timberlake now his career isn't being touched by you know the state of little perman or i think he's dead i remember i think he's dead uh you know his estate like you know there, there's contracts on contracts on contracts like you know it's some like cash money owning drake still kind mm -hmm. of thing you know someone someone at the very very tippity top is still getting paid for that initial investment mm -hmm. um you know you look at yeah like insync like you know that was a timberlake vehicle and and anyone who tries to tell me differently maybe i'll believe that uh jc i don't even know anyone else's name really other than like joey fatone because that's like funny like you know that the big one's name was fat one lance there's also lance he's around true lance okay okay totally totally but um but did any of those dudes have the immediate star appeal of a, it's gonna be may <laughs> no jc jc he he's yeah he's talented it's a that you, you stack the deck right you play the hand and and one ends up being the ace like one of your guys ends up being the ace so so i think it'd be a different feeling you know uh because they were ready to go solo. Like they were born and bred to go solo. They, they, they believe it, you know? That group dynamic thing, that's just, that sells. That, that pushes the idea mm -hmm. that like a, 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 a boy band, a girl group or whatever, that that can exist, right? It's just, it's all to facilitate this thing. Right, okay. Um, I wanna jump back into the sort of pandemic coronavirus discussion as it pertains to music and the consumption of music we've already we've already kind of touched on the fact that you know bands more than anyone has to go direct to consumer or find a way to get to where the consumers are we've seen travis scott do that with twitch how do you think this is going to change the the consumption of music because you had the people that were strictly Spotify, they don't care about going to a concert. And then you had the people that wanted to get the premium services like the titles. And then you had the people that just wanted to do SoundCloud. And then you had people that wanted to go to every music festival everywhere, no matter where they were. What are those people gonna do? How is this gonna change sort of the consumption of music if you think it's gonna change it at all? Um, you, you brought up kind of like three different levels of consumption. Yes. Uh, so so for the average consumer who doesn't go to concerts they're gonna you know they're gonna find that their favorite artists are probably releasing uh more live records right um because uh you know and just to kind of quickly explain that um a live record is something that you would be able to easily record in a controlled one-off concert experience um, you would then be able to uh, quickly market it um, to anyone who didn't get to experience the live experience. Uh, and then, you know, once you've kind of, you know, you, you've, you've done that, um, you, you stream it, 
right? Like so, so everyone gets 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 a taste, and then you never you never have to pay for the masters, right? It's a cheap way for an artist to like repackage their their work for for consumption, for streams, you know, to to kind of broaden uh, their income streams. Um, so that's kind of the the low class consumer, the middle class consumer uh, who you know goes to festivals, but maybe not specific concerts. Um, I mean, Coachella will will be online. They'll they will do something like there will be something like that. It will be a pay per view, mm-hmm. and and all of their favorite artists will get a, a like. It won't be a. It, it maybe it'll be a very controlled live setting, like where they're filming from. Um, but it'll be broadcast big time, you know, and it'll be one-offs, you know, they'll do once a year. Maybe they partner with Netflix and sign one of those comedian Netflix deals, right? That says you're not allowed to perform now for 365 days. You know, they, they do that kind of thing. And and you're just going to see a lot more of those kind of those one-off live concert experiences that are just, maybe they're enhanced a little bit. Um, they sound great, you know, and and you're going to get to kind of just you're going to get to experience that so you know it'll enhance the the overall idea of of going to like a, a coachella while diminishing the chance of a pandemic you know maybe invite all your friends over in the same way that you know you would do with a fight like i think pay-per-view and and the the fight culture is a great way to sh- to kind of uh, illustrate what is likely to happen and then, like we were talking about before, your top tier artists are going to come up with some of the most wild in your home shit you have ever seen. There is going to be AR like we have never seen before because AR is just at that point where money and, and technology is, is marrying. And, you know, you're going to see VR. They're going to use this is this is the perfect way to exploit VR right now. You know, if that Fortnite thing had been in virtual reality, it would have blown minds. And literally, it's 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 the technology is just a, it's they're just dancing around each other. If that's not already planned for the likes of someone like Kanye, or Taylor Swift, or another A-class celebrity who can have already afforded the research and development, and already knew that this was coming anyway, like the pandemic is just accelerating this thought process. I mean people watch things through their phones all of the time anyway, you know, and the crowd experience has been dropping any, has been dropping, you know, that, that isn't something, unless it's a big, big, big artist. It's not like people like, sorry, just to, music venues are dropping like flies, right? All, all lower and middle-class music venues are dropping like flies. And that was happening before people couldn't go outside. So if, if the argument that this is what killed them is, is, is not true, this just sped the poison up just a touch. You know, this was going to happen in the next five years. Um, and technology is already there. Like this, like I said at the beginning, this is going to be the innovation period. Like we're going to see some crazy stuff. And, uh, and yeah, it will change the, the concert going experience. That's awesome, man. You, you, you made some really, really strong points there. I, I was not thinking AR, VR, although that makes complete sense. Anybody can just go to Amazon, order an Oculus or whatever new device they decide to create. And you're right. If, if the Fortnite thing had been AR or VR Ooh. app on your phone and you just hold it up like this to the screen. 
I mean, IKEA is already doing that. IKEA is already doing a, um, a VR thing where you can purchase something and then see what it would look like in your room. You just kind of like hold it up into the corner of the room, yep. see what that desk looks like over there, see what the lamp looks like over there. And that was a couple of years ago, right? So now it's, you're right, AR, VR, huge opportunities for that right now, especially with music. I wasn't thinking about that with music, but I could totally see you know, Bieber concert experience by these <laughs> Oculus. Yeah. And yeah. So, so, I mean, like, you know, the say, you know, that yummy sing, single that he released, it was all those things. There was like bubbles. Things like that was like the imagery. It was like bubbles and stuff like that, man, that could have been AR and it would have been bubbles in your room or something. You know, like we're, we're, we're right there. Like, I mean, it would, if after this conversation, we both picked up our phone and found out that someone was doing exactly what we were talking about, I wouldn't be surprised. There's no way these are, are these aren't unique ideas. This is just, you know, this is where the atmosphere is, is at least on the tech side of things. Mm-hmm. You're totally right, man. And um, uh, with that, I want to <laughs> with that, um, uh, I got to edit these things. So... <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, well, good, good luck editing. My longest is, I was talking to Mike, Mitty, and mm-hmm. we, you know, him and I could talk for days. It yeah. went, went on for maybe about an hour and a bit on all kinds of topics. Talked about Mitty and Dre, talked about advertising, creativity. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, man, really appreciate your time. I, I, I love our chats. You know, we always delve into all kinds of things, business, creativity, music, and now on this yeah, man. I, w- I want to keep this going, man. Talk to more and more people, but really appreciate your time. Hey, man. Uh, anytime you let me know, we'll uh, we'll chop it up again.